The EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Oya Jordanian, an outreach coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is May 25th, and I talk to Vlad Perjou, Professor of Law, Director of Cloud Center for the Study of Constitutional Democracy at Boston College. The future is glim, um, and the prospects are... Um, are rather sad, I think. Um, what we are seeing um, time and again is a political organization um, that seems utterly unable to handle and to deal with the crisis that history is throwing its way. And um, we also see the lack of the constitutional and, and political infrastructure um, for that, that could give us hope that things could, could get better in the future. Um, so I think the situation is, is extraordinarily serious for the project of European unity and for the project of European integration. Um, and we can, we can discuss the, 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 the reasons why we are where we are. Yes, please. So the reasons, I think, are that the project, the nature of the project, has, has fundamentally shifted. Now, I'm a lawyer, so I, I pay close attention to the legal and constitutional infrastructure of Europe. And it seems to me that the story that we have been telling ourselves about what makes the project of European unity or, European, or the European integration stand out is largely untrue. So the canonical account is one of great continuity. According to this account, the union or the community, as it was then known, uh, from its earliest beginnings was one committed to the existence and the continuing existence of its individual member states with the assumption or the hope that the experience of participating in the communal project was going to transform the way that these states existed internally and the way in which they related to one another. That they were going to become more tolerant, they were going to become accommodating of one another, that in other words we were going to have nation states without nationalism. And so the canonical, the mainstream story reads the history of European integration from its earliest beginnings. Um, the rejection of the European defense community in the early 1950s is a very important moment in this story as, as one of, of, of this kind of continuity. I, it seems to me that this is, the, this, is a, this is a mistaken approach. I think that it is much more helpful to think and more accurate to think about the project of European legal integration as one that is marked by profound discontinuities. The original project of constitutional and legal integration was a project of, of fusion. It was a project of integration as unity, integration as fusion. It was only later on, in the early 1990s in my view, but this is of course debatable, um, that the project became transformed. It became a project about something else. And this was, a, this was the project of integration as coordination. Now, integration, if integration as coordination among 28 member states, you know, to, to take us back a little bit where we are nowadays, 
Integration is coordination among 28 member states, each of which has a veto in very significant political decisions, um, and, and each of which is involved in this constant process of strategizing about sort of trying to understand its own self-interest of strategizing about how to act. You know, th this is no longer a story of, of unity. This is no longer a story of fusion. This is the project of European integration is a project that started as a fundamental challenge to the ideas of the state, to the to the to the claim to the to the claim of the existence of the states as autonomous units of social and political organization. And then it and then it became diluted over time, and then it became transformed to a project that takes for granted the existence of states um, that are seen to be involved in this process of cooperation and, and collaboration. The current project that takes for granted the existence of states as they are is, is one that whose, whose difficulties and challenges are becoming apparent um, nowadays. The, Think, for example, just to give you an example, think about the crisis, uh, the constitutional crisis in, in, in Hungary or in Poland. Uh, the Constitution, the European Commission um, has done very little with regard to Hungary um, and now is trying to make up a little bit by acting quite proactively in relation to Poland um, for very good reasons. The, mechanism, the, the procedures that are being envisioned, um, if the Commission is to pursue these matters, which it, it, it might or it might not, require at some point as part of the sanction mechanism, so a vote in the, in, the, in the council, a vote that would require unanimity in order to punish or to sanction Poland um, for, its, for its actions. Well, Hungary has already announced that it was going to veto any such measure. Um, so we pretty much know that the entire sanction mechanism is going to run into the ground, is not going to to have any kind of any kind of effect, um, this is this is just one of the very many examples, and you, then we can we can we can run this through the various through the various crises and to see how this has been playing out. Um, Europe cannot fulfill its promise if its project of integration is understood as a project of coordination of member states. I actually am unsure that it can be fixed. Um, I. I think that we need to we need to think without being sentimental about the possibility that there are more than just one project of European integration um, that the most promising and the most interesting um, project is one that has already failed and that the Another project that is that is ongoing now um, is a project that, even if it succeeds, it's not going to give us um, what we had hoped Europe could one day accomplish. Um, so, it, the someone once wisely said that the task of the imagination is to do the work of crisis without the crisis. Um, we are in a situation of deep crisis, and. And we are we are in a state of just generally lacking lacking imagination and thinking. What is? It might very well be the case that 
um, if you place yourself in the moment of the original thinking about the, the, the project of Europe, and by the way, this is the way in which the way in which one should think about the different projects of European integration is not a successive project. Um, these are projects that coexist. Um, it's just that they are more or less powerful at any particular point in time. I I cannot, short of some enormous, I I simply cannot see a way in which the early project of European of of European integration and European fusion um, could be revived. Um, so I think that where we are now is just a period of just lingering um, in the dark, um, of of trying to of trying to um, to come up with temporary solutions to profound crises, profoundly unprincipled. You know, if you just think about the refugee crisis, profoundly unprincipled. Um, of 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 simply living in the aftermath of a, of a, of a profound of a profound failure um, of the European project I, I do think I mean I don't want to be that pessimistic I do think that there are again I'm a lawyer so I'm interested in what happens in law and and when you look in law and when you look closely in legal doctrine what you see is simply doctrine encapsulating conflicting political projects so the, I have described previously two different projects of European integration. One of, of a project of integration as, as fusion or as unity, and the project of integration as collaboration, uh, cooperation of, or coordination of states. Um, both projects, now I, I believe that the project, of Europe, the project of European as integration and unity is a project that explains to us the, the extraordinary um, accomplishments and the extraordinary virtues of the of of European of European law. I think the constitutionalization of the Treaty of Rome, the doctrines of supremacy or direct effect or fundamental rights. These are these are doctrines that cannot be explained um, through the lens of integration as co as coordination, which is precisely how they have been explained for more than a generation now. Um, so I think that you know for for the listeners who. Um, who will be familiar with these debates? I think that you know we, we we would be very wise to revisit both the doctrinal and the normative foundations of the of of the paradigm of constitutional pluralism and and and, and all the other such accounts of, of European uh, constitutional law. But the remnants of the early project of European integration live on um, in a way that is hidden, in a way that is misunderstood in legal doctrine. Um, they are they are utopian if you are to talk about them as 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 a as part of a political project. You know, we, as we are having this conversation, Britain is getting ready to uh, hold a referendum about exiting the European Union. So, my kind of argument that the project of European integration was a project that challenged the very existence of nation states. Um, is simply not a project that has any kind of political purchase, political power, um, at this particular at this moment in time. is a is a utopian project, and it is a, a, a project that's from a strategic standpoint is completely mis misfires. Um, but nevertheless, the it is a it it is I argue the only um, the only explanation 
for the, the early success of the European Union. Um, so that vision of, of a united Europe remains part of constitutional legal doctrine. Um, it explains some of the trajectory, some of the direction of development of legal doctrine, which cannot be understood other than through the lens of unity and fusion. Of course, there, are, there, is, a, there is a different layer um, that also cannot be understood other than from the lens of, of integration as coordination. Um, but this is, but this is a, a layer of doctrine and the layer of discourse um, that, that originates at what I see is the moment of fracture. That is probably the, the moment of, of the Treaty of Maastricht, the moment of the early 1990s. In my view, this is the moment when that of the profound discontinuity in the, in the development of the European project, which in a sense is not all that surprising. A very wise um, Italian judge of the European Court of Justice predicted in the early 1990s that the closer the European project is, comes to its success, the greater is going to be the, the opposition to it. Um, so it, it is exactly in the aftermath of mastery, at precisely the moment when all the, all the stars were aligned the, you know, the end of the Cold War, the interest of the Central European states to join the EU, um, the, you know, that, that, moment, that moment in time um, when history and sort of vision were becoming aligned, that the project becomes fractured. It's, a, it's, it's part of the deep irony, the deep, the deep tragedy of the European project, um, that, that's, that that's the moment when, at which it be, kind of begins to fail. But it might, so going back to your, to your in, initial question about what, what can be done and where things are going, I said that you know, we, have, we would be well advised to think without sentimentality about the very real possibility that the project of European integration um, in its most daring and admirable version might have already failed. And then to just understand why it has failed, how it has failed. And that might be a lesson that we can take with us. Look, I mean, I think that it has really become so, you know, I wasn't saying anything deep. It has become commonplace to criticize the, you know, everybody, uh, the observers, the actors, um, the participants um, for failing to have imagination or for failing to have a vision. Um, I think that things are a little bit more complex than that. I think it's, I think that there are, you know, so in a sense we already have the vision. If my account is right about the existence of two different models of integration, um, then we already have the, the vision and we already have, you know, the, ima the, the imagination has already done some of the work. Um, and not only do we already have the work of the imagination, but we actually have the legal doctrines that have encased that kind of imagination. And we have that with us, you know, they're in use all the time. Um, so it's not as such the imagination that's necessary. What is, what is necessary is really to understand the limitations of the, of the paradigm, uh, of the contemporary paradigm for thinking about European integration um, and about the European project. Um, so this is, if you will, um, we, need, we need to be critical of the existing paradigm um, in the name of a political normative project um, that sees Europe as going in a particular direction. And this is, in my view, the direction of European unity. This is, in my view, very much a sort of a federal, 
what what used to be called at some point in time of a, a, a federal direction. That's no longer that's no longer uh, that's no longer either called like that that way or it's no longer really a you know it, it's considered to be a, a, a mistakenly considered to be a utopian project. Um, so long as we understand, so long as we take for granted um, the existence of nation states as autonomous units of, of, of social and political organization. So long as we, we misascribe to the legal and constitutional systems of the different states the kind of, of, of role and autonomy um, that, 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 that we have um, ascribed, um, then I think that um, you know, we, we profoundly misunderstand what the, the promise and the nature of the project was going to be about. Let me give you just an example so that, so that things become a little bit more clear. But let me take the example from the, from the sphere that is most familiar to me. Um, in, the early in the early 1960s, um, the European Court of Justice decided a number of very significant cases that really, as many people know, set the, created the structure um, of, the, of, the of, of European constitutional law. In those cases, the court held that the European legal order was autonomous from national law and from international law, as it turns out, um, though that took a little bit longer to figure out, um, but not that long. Um, and that the Europe, and that European law has supremacy over national law. So it, not only does it have autonomy, but it has supremacy. So in other words, when there's a conflict between norms of national law and norms of European law, European law trumps. It has primacy. Um, what was extraordinary was the degree of acquiescence on the part of national courts to these extraordinary claims of the European Court of Justice. Now, this is not the way that the story is generally told. The story generally told is one in which, um, you know, the claims of the European Court of Justice were so were so outlandish that you know you can't really understand the notion of European of supremacy of European law simply by looking at at what the European Court of Justice said. You also have to look at how the national courts reacted. So in that sense, European supremacy is said to be necessarily bidirectional. It's not just what the Europeans said, it's also what the, the, what the, the nation state said. Um, this is, this is simply a, this is, this is a mistake in a number of, a number of levels. Um, first of all, because in reality, what stands out, again, as I was saying, it was the degree of acquiescence of national courts to the, to the extraordinary claims of the European Court of Justice. Not simply at the level of national apex court, that is Supreme Courts or Constitutional Courts, which of course took a little bit longer to, to, to recognize uh, the claims of the European Court of Justice, even though quite from the beginning they have said things that were simply remarkable and it wasn't all that surprising that it took them a long time to come around um, because of their, of their own political, political stature um, in the, within their nation states. But also the lower courts were extraordinarily acquiescent. Um, of the claims of the European Court of Justice. So we tend to think about European supremacy, as I said, about necessarily, uh, European supremacy is necessarily bi-directional, where there's nothing necessarily bi-directional about it. When we think about autonomy or about supremacy, the authority of law, um, the authority of a legal norm, we don't tend to, to make that authority depend on the ways in which the addressees of the legal norm 
what the addresses of the legal norms say about that legal norm. We tend to look at how they act if we look at that at all, or we just look at the norm itself. So this might be a, a, a more complex jurisprudential point, but I, but I do think that um, the paradigm that we ought to question is a paradigm that places on the same level the European and the supranational level. We, even our boldest contemporary accounts, such as Jürgen Habermas's account of the dual sovereignty of, in the European Union, even the boldest available accounts take for granted um, the fact that the European level and the national level are on the, are, have equal staging. Um, Habermas, for example, imagines the process of European integration as one in which European citizen, uh, European citizen, in which citizens are rationally reconstructed um, to belong both to the European Union as well as to continue to belong to their nation states. I think this is, at, in the most general, it, I think this is a mis interpretation of European law, which is, by the way, very central to Habermas. He says his entire normative account is simply a normative gloss on European law. He, I think, in my view, he misinterprets European law. Um, so it is a misinterpretation of European law. It is, um, it is, a, it is a form of, of, what, of, of, of downplaying or, or, or diluting the originality and the radicalism of European integration. Um, and and strategically, it is it is mistaken simply because I think that the recent if the recent developments have have taught have 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 taught us any lessons, um, it must be at some level that we might have to choose between the national and the supranational level that we might not be able to have both in the way that we have been hoping all along that we can have both. So, in other words, that we that the, a time might come where if, if you want the process of, of European integration to continue, um, then, then you need to, um, then you need to, um, to allow for the possibility um, that the, that the, that the higher versions of social and political integration, and that by that I mean the supranational version, might actually pose significant pressure on the lower forms of, of political and social integration that is at the level of the nation state. Um, and, that, and that transnationalizing democracy might actually be, be somewhat more disrespectful or less respectful of the nation state than um, many of our contemporary thinkers believe. So this is what, why our, I think that progress depends on this. So I think that progress in Europe, I'm, I'm not talking at the level of sort of political progress, right. but at the, at the level of even just trying to understand the development of, of simply what is going on, requires us to at least see developments from this particular perspective, from the perspective of, of of, of that this was a project of European of European integration, European unity. Look, I think this is a this is you know, it's a, it's a, this is a, a profoundly significant moment um, in Europe and in and in the and in the UK. Um, what we are learning about the 
the internal po politics of the United Kingdom is is really quite extraordinary. Um, you know, you like. I want to start from the from the fact that about a month ahead of the vote, we cannot be sure which way this is going to turn out, which is very significant. We cannot be sure because uh, of the of the ways in which the political scene in the United Kingdom looks like um, you know, a, a very weak uh, sort of labor leader um, that has completely lost control over the unions um, that the the vote of which cannot be entrusted to the to the conservatives who are profoundly distrusted uh, for very good reason um, and and so what essentially you have is is the explanation for why for why things look the way they do um there's also very significant in the uk again just the this this tension between the city between london and then the rest of the country london is an extraordinarily cosmopolitan benefits enormously from being part of the of the it benefits enormously from the immigration um, that has become the, the the central debate. It it seems to me that the economic debate has been very the, the economic terms of the debates about the exit of of Britain um, have have largely been settled. It is very clear that economically speaking, this is going to be an extraordinary blow to the British economy. Um, and it seems to me that even the advocates of the supporters of Brexit appear to acknowledge that. So the, the debate has now moved to a different front, and that's the front of immigration. Um, and the kind of, of the kind of revival of nationalism that in my view the, the nation state cannot contain. You know, one argument, you know, in a, you can going back a little bit to our previous discussion, you can uh, you can now see the wisdom of the original phase of the project of European integration as fusion. Um, or unity, precisely because of this great distrust of the of the nation state and especially of these forces of nationalism um, that will not die away. Um, the the argument that the state has become transformed, um, the argument that it has become more tolerant, um, is is fantasy. I mean, you know, it's 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 mistaken in law and then it's fantasy in reality. Um, as we see every day, you know, just think about the refugee crisis. So, the the British debate has become a debate about immigration. Um, this is an, ex an in very much an internal debate because because London benefits enormously from extraordinary influx of of, of, of high skilled immigrants, um, unlike the rest of the country. So it has been a problem of sort of internal British policy, uh, the inability to um, to to expand the benefits of, of, of immigration across the, across the land. So, so then we have the question of what's, you know, what, what might happen if they leave, if they stay. Um, I think that, I think that, uh, I think that if they leave, the, the negotiations about the exit, the, the British exit, um, would would be utterly debilitating to the EU. Um, they would be debilitating to the European institutions. They would be debilitating to the European discourse. Um, I don't think it will be 
there will be extraordinary political implications um, because you know, of the of the economic relations, especially between Germany and the UK. Um, so, given how vulnerable and weak the European Centre now is, after you know the eurozone crisis, after the, with the refugee crisis. Um, and is likely to continue with the inability to reform the institutions, just with the inability to, uh, with the rise of the extreme right, of, the, of nationalism everywhere. Um, if on top of this, the European institutions, um, especially the Commission, uh, will have to handle um, something as, as messy and as challenging as a, as an ex, as a departure of, of, of a member state, um, I think this would, be, um, this would be something very, very, quite transformative um, in, a, in a bad way. Um, I also think that for people who are concerned about the, um, you know, the creation of a European public sphere, some idea of the citizenry, you know, the Habermasian Derrida vision, some idea of transnational solidarity, um, if, if, if this becomes the discourse, if the discourse is a discourse of disintegration um, amid this set of sort of challenges uh, and general dysfunctions, again, I, I think this, is, this would be a very serious matter. So I, I do not think that the, that the British exit would trigger a discourse whereby people will, whereby a decision will be made to invest in a core, you know, the, the old idea of Europe of different speeds. You know, you have a, you have a few nations that are um, really ahead of everybody else and they reach a level of integration that is far beyond what other nations can, can do. Um, and so that sort of the, the departure of Britain would strengthen the uh, inner core of the Union. And I don't think that's going to happen simply because for economic reasons, the, 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 the mutual dependence between the UK and Germany, for example, is just so significant um, that Germany will try to protect its economic interest um, that will require it to enter into sort of special deals with the UK. So uh, Germany will continue to need the UK, which means that Germany will be less committed to the creation of a European core. So again, I think that you know the the, the hope that the, the that the British exit might lead to greater integration is just fantasy. Look, I think I, let me just emphasize how important the how important. I, I'm sure lots of other stories are important. You know, I'm not an economist, and I'm not a you know, I'm not a, I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a political scientist. Um, for too long, the business of European law has been left to political scientists and to others, and 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 I. I think that everybody w would be um, would be well served uh, by revisiting the story of European constitutional integration, of of trying to understand the discontinuities, of trying to understand why you know, the law is this place where you know ideals meet interests, and. And you can you can you can gain a very accurate this depiction of a particular moment in time if you understand the the clash of political normative projects um, that receive recognition at one point or another in legal doctrine. Um, 
So I think that we ought to put a little bit more pressure on 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 European lawyers. That is on people who have spent a lot of time learning the intricacies of European legal doctrine to to really um, go beyond technicalities and really um, provide an account of of just what what is out there, what what is embedded within 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 the legal constitutional system. Because at a time when our politics looks the way it does, at a time of the rise of the of the extreme right everywhere, you know, Austria, you know, the in, as we're speaking, the Austrians have have the, the extreme right has narrowly lost the elections in Austria. Um, you know, this is not, you know, th- it's too early to celebrate. Uh, you know, the next time around, the extreme right is going to come with, with a far greater power. It will come with great, you know, it has already come with extraordinary power in other parts of Europe. Uh, you know, look at, you know, we're, we're all extraordinarily concerned about what's going to happen in France. So at the time when, 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 of revival of nationalism at a time when the political institutions are um, either either strong but not heard. The Europe, in my view, you know, the European the European Parliament has become a more venerable institution um, than it used to be, and and we should pay much more attention to this institution um, than than it is customarily allowed. Um, at a time when you know the insti- the Commission has its own dysfunctionalities, at a time when the economic models um, that we have available have proven to be simply as 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 flawed and as corrupt as they are, um, there are very helpful contradictions in legal doctrine. There, there is an, an afterlife of the project of European integration as unity or as fusion um, that, that, that might be one of the very few anchors in reality um, of, of, of a vision of European integration that is worth fighting for. There are many other visions of European integration um, that are simply not worth fighting for. Um, if, 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 if the project of European integration is a project that cannot deliver um, in the 21st century or 22nd century um, what the project of the constitutional state delivered in the, 20th, in the 19th century, 20th century, then it's simply not a project worth fighting for. Um, in my view, we ought to to be extraordinarily demanding um, of the European project, um, which means, as I as I said, to question the existing paradigm of understanding um, the EU, um, and and to un- and to look into the past so that we can we can see um, we can try to map various alternative futures for the for the project of European integration. Thank you so much. You're very welcome.
You've been listening to the EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C.